0: Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. Uh, there's two readings this morning. The first is Psalm 23. If you'd like to turn to page 548 in your Bibles, uh, and the second reading uh, we'll get to in just a moment. So, Psalm 23 on page 548. The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the second reading uh, comes from 1 Thessalonians. uh, And you can find that on page 1186. And I'll be reading uh, chapter 2, verse 5, through to chapter 3, verse 6. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else even though as apostles of christ we could have asserted our authority instead we were like young children among you just as a nursing mother cares for her children so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you and not only the gospel of god but our lives as well surely you remember brothers and sisters our toil and hardship We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory and we also thank god continually because when you received the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as a human word but as it actually is the word of god which is indeed at work in you who believe for you brothers and sisters became imitators of god's churches in judea which are in christ jesus You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last." But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Now, it would be very helpful if you kept that open because we're going to look at that and a little bit beyond that reading as well this morning. Um, So um, we'll be finished in time for your Mother's Day lunch, okay? So that's okay. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, um, your word is living and active and it does get right in to where we are thinking, where we are sinning, where we are considerate we pray that you might speak to us today by your word that you might lift us up and encourage us that we might go on serving you well for jesus sake amen well um graeme and katrina have been gone now for five weeks how are you going all right from what uh, Kathy and I can see, you seem to be going pretty well, which is, which is very encouraging. But uh, we do know that this sort of in-between-rectors period <laughs> um, presents a test for us all to see how we're going to either remain regular at church um, or stay focused uh, in serving Christ, uh, excited about the ministries that we're exercising, how effectively we're going to keep looking after one another um, in the church how committed we keep being in terms of our giving for all these great ministries that are going on within the life of the congregation. And if somebody, in case they were thinking about it, let me just say, this is not a time to take a break. There could be a natural thought, oh, I'll just have a little break now and I'll just pull out of this for a little while. But I want to encourage you to rethink, if that's at all in your mind, um, on the contrary, I, I want to say this is a time to refresh our commitment to Jesus and to refresh our commitment to one another. Uh, because who knows how long it will take? You may see my face and Kathy's face for a bit longer than you either wanted to or you gained We don't know, do we? But we do know, as was prayed this morning, that God is preparing a man and his family to come and to join you on a permanent basis. So it's not time to take a break, it's time to refresh. It's an excellent time to be praying hard for your parish nominators. Now, just in case, you need to be reminded who they are, here they are: Kim Barnes, Stephen Buckley, Jill Chilton, Matt Chase, and Brian Spiller. Now, they're out and about, not literally, because I know some of them are here in the service. Uh, they're out and about on your behalf, on behalf of this congregation, uh, finding that new man. It's such an important task and it's done on our behalf so it seemed to Matt and I that it would be really helpful after five weeks just to stop and to reflect on what are the key characteristics that the nominators ought to be looking for in a new man and what are the key characteristics we ought to be praying for in a new man and his family. So that's the, that's the vision today. That's where we're going to go. And, and we're going to, we could have gone to lots of different passages in the New Testament or the Old Testament, but we've honed in on the 1 Thessalonians one. So that's where we're going to concentrate. What would the perfect pastor look like? Well, while you're conjuring up that vision, I have a suggestion for you. Let me describe him. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8am till midnight and he's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books and he donates $30 a week to the parish. He's 29 years old and he has 40 years of experience, (laughs) and above all, he is handsome. Sorry, we muffed out on that. I can only speak on my own self, not Matts. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humour that keeps him seriously dedicated to his parish. He makes 15 home visits every day. He's always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always always has time for parish council and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organisation. He's always busy evangelising the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next parish over. If your pastor doesn't measure up, says this, (laughs) simply send this notice to six other parishes that are tired of their pastor as well. Then bundle up your pastor, send him off to the parish at the top of your list and if everyone cooperates in one week you'll receive 1,643 pastors. (laughs) One of them should be perfect. Have faith in the letter this letter because it, one parish broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. Well, you might say, okay, who, who meets that criteria? You might say, well, nobody really, but the top of the list would have to be just one person. <laughs> That's Jesus. And at one level of you might say, if Jesus is happy to come, go for it. <laughs> but on the other hand, we say, hang on, he already is the senior minister of this church. Is the senior senior minister of this one and every church. Back to reality, <laughs> we could go on to several parts of the Bible to have a look at what the a preacher ought to look like, um, a pastor ought to look like. But we're doing it from this passage. With Paul, who we're looking at this morning, what you get is a top-notch minister with high expectations of himself and of the people he ministers to. Now, he's different because he's, okay, he's probably single. He's, he's doing an itinerant ministry in many ways. But he writes to this brand-new little congregation in Thessalonica. He'd planted it with his own small team. And he shows us what he sees as most important when it comes to godly Christian leadership. So that's why we're looking at it. Um, we're following the order of the passage. So there are three things, or this is a sermon. There are three things... Um, They're not necessarily in the order of the most important, but there are three things that we bring together. Let's start in verses 17 to 20. A genuine personal commitment to the people under his care is a very important element in a new pastor. Paul had said to this group earlier on, it was read out, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, But also our own lives because you had become dear to us i love the passion in paul's writing of this letter and the open genuineness with which he writes a pastor may teach god's word faithfully but not yet be the most stimulating and attention grabbing preacher i suppose when you look at them all there's not too many attention grabbing stimulating preachers of the order of John Chapman or um, Glenn Davies or whoever it might be. You may actually have a difference with him in the area of procedure or outlook in some area. He may be one of those terrible ministers who tells dad jokes all the time. Well, he can work on that. My children keep telling me to work on that. But if you know that he is genuinely committed to you personally, it can make all the difference for a healthy relationship. Paul, I suggest to you, like most ministers, shows a fierce affection for this group, a great loyalty to this newly converted congregation. And it's notable, It's just in a few weeks, very strong bonds had been forged between himself and the Thessalonians. And in this this particular passage, he's at pains to remind them why he had to leave them so urgently in the first place and why he hasn't been able to go back. The Jewish opponents that had been chasing him from place to place to place were charging he'd left them desolate and he had no intention of coming back because he didn't care about them. That was absolutely the other end of the truth. In verse 17 and 18, Paul picks his words really carefully and he says... But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired, made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And he talks about being torn away. And it conjures up that picture of um, two parents holding the hands of their children and people coming in and r- yanking those children away from the family. It's at that sort of level um, that, that, uh, of, of feeling that Paul has as um, he had to leave these these uh, Christians. And I guess you can, you can appreciate the depth of his feelings. The word he actually uses is lust. And when, do we, we, when the Bible talks about lust, it often has a negative connotation. But lust simply means... Um, a forcible and strong intense longing and that's what paul is saying i have this intense longing to see you again now we know we don't seem to know why he satan or how satan was preventing him from going back but obviously he was and no doubt the jewish leaders were a big part of that But whatever was the case, his strong expressions point to his love and his commitment to these new Christians. That's what we'd be looking for in a new pastor, isn't it? A love and commitment to uh, to us as a congregation, a preparedness to share himself. Share the gospel, absolutely fundamental, but also to share himself. And when you think about it, a Christian pastor shares the lives of people in a whole variety of ways. At one level, it could be... um, invitations into people's homes, that is you invite them, or they invite you into their home, or could it could just be laughs after church over something that you share together. It could be a chance meeting down the street or a conversation at the shops at one level. That's a normal sort of activity that we do when we go into those sort of places. But at another level, it might be tears when a loved one passes away. It might be sharing the worry over a difficult child or it could be the concern for elderly parents, how to look after them well or it might be praying with you for the partner, your partner, who isn't yet a Christian. One guy has said, pastors who earn respect and love become living letters known and read by their congregations as the Apostle Paul knew so well. I think there's a lot in that. But his love and his commitment to these Thessalonians is also stirred by the pride he has in them. Uh, what I mean by that, he says in verse 9 to 20, you are our hope, our joy, our crown, our glory. It leaves us in no doubt that they have a very special place uh, for Paul. But as you read this, it's not that he's sort of reaching over, if it was at all possible, I, I can't do that anymore, uh, to pat himself on the back, Yes, he's worked really hard amongst them. He went to great pains to put the gospel uh, before them. But he knows they are ultimately the fruit of the cross of Jesus and the working of God's spirit. He's absolutely clear on that. He boasts of his converts only because he sees the grace of God at work in them. And that's what your new pastor will be looking for in you and me. Well, i here then, but in you? The grace of God at work in you. That will encourage him greatly, as it does Matt and Ben and Johnny and um, Jill and the others who minister in the groups. Here, he says, the Thessalonians are his prize, the evidence he hasn't exercised his God-given ministry with them in vain. He has this vision. On Jesus' return, they will stand as evidence of how carefully and passionately he taught them the gospel. And that warms his heart. So personal commitment to his people, that's a key element of good spiritual leadership. We're looking for that in a pastor. A second one is in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. We're looking for, for a man who will exercise a keen pastoral concern for his people. What do we mean by that? Well, as well as building healthy relationships within the congregation. The Christian leader has another priority and is really the heart of his ministry. This is the foundational uh, thing that he will be doing, and that is to teach us the truth of the gospel, encourage us to maturity of faith and ongoing discipleship, to so um, bring God's word to bear upon us in preaching. Uh, One to one, or whatever it might be, that that we see the way forward to follow Jesus. Um, Paul said in chapter two, verse two, as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. So that means that the leader, the new leader, needs to know where you and I are at spiritually. Because it's only if he knows where we're at that he can then offer appropriate help and support. So he has to know us. So our our new pastor will be somebody who wants to get to know us. And to do that, he has to be a good listener. Please pray at that point, because if anything like me or maybe you, I don't know, you're probably better than me, we need a lot of work there in listening properly to people. But he will lead by example. He'll show... How he takes God's word seriously and deliberately and applies it to the circumstances of his life. And I just noted the reference, um, Fred's reference to Bruce Chapman uh, who died uh, earlier this week at the age of 49. Bruce worked with me uh, at Eastwood in the, just in that first year that we were there. And then he hived off to the Northern Territory um, to be the youth minister for the Northern Territory. <laughs> Not a bad job, was it? Um, he developed melanoma and the melanoma ran his course, its course and, um, and it, it um, caught up with him last week. Uh, this, uh, this week, last p- past week. But why I mention Bruce is this. We're talking about a pastor who will take God's word and apply it and, and um, uh, demonstrate it in his own life so that we can see how it works. When we knew what was happening with Bruce, we wrote to him, and he wrote back a, a, a wonderful letter. I've, I've kept it, because pastorally, I'm going to use it, <laughs> as I will today. What, what was so helpful about the letter was he, had t- he talked to us there about how he was dealing with his oncoming death. He knew he was dying. How he was dealing with it, from the scriptures, from his understanding of the scriptures and its application to life. In other words, he modelled to us, as to many other people, uh, how to be a Christian when you're facing death. And that was very helpful. Very helpful. That's what we want in a pastor somebody who will model to us the application of the scriptures in his own life and show us how it's done. Now, Paul could not endure not knowing how the Thessalonians were going. He'd been chased out, he'd had no news, Um, he wanted to know. He could not relax, he could not be right until he knew what was going on. But he himself was in pressure, uh, under pressure in Athens where he was. Um, Athens a very unsympathetic place, very cynical um, about anything that didn't agree with them. (laughs) Uh, Quick to dismiss you, quick to dismiss the gospel. It was not a good place to be, and Paul was so thankful that Timothy was with him as a support. But it came to the point where Paul could no longer bear it, and he he then said, Timothy, you must go back and find out. In, In doing that, we may miss the fact that he was sacrificing his own sense of support and encouragement that came through Timothy. The word word he uses here when Timothy left to go to to the Thessalonians is the word which we might translate being abandoned. This gives you an insight into how Paul felt as he let Timothy go. Um, He felt like he was being abandoned. But he was prepared to sacrifice himself so that he could find out how the Thessalonians were going. And that's what pastoral concern meant for Paul and that's what we'll be looking for in a new pastor. A preparedness, a sacrifice, his, his, himself, his presumptions, his time, his personal interests. Along with us, of course. Expect that of ourselves, too. And when we look for a pastor, we'll be looking, won't we, for somebody who's prepared to sensitively tell us the truth about our spiritual state as he learns to get to know us and assess how we're going. Even if sometimes we don't really like that, you will model to us how to apply the Bible's exhortation, speak the truth in love with honesty and balance. Looking back over uh, 40 years of ministry, there are times where I have, to, have had to sidle up and talk, the, uh, speak the truth in love with somebody and um, I don't really enjoy doing that sort of thing. I find it difficult. But it, it's uh, imperative in ministry sometimes. Maybe the person's faith is under threat. Maybe they needed to be challenged about their action and behaviour. I've had to tell, on occasions, Christian leaders to step away from their leadership because of um, what was happening in their lives at the time. I've had to lead groups through periods of significant change. We don't like change a lot, do we? Maybe you as a generation do more than uh, the older generation. But if you know that your minister does that out of a loving commitment to you and a pastoral concern for you, you'll be more prepared perhaps to hear what he has to say as he points you to to the word. Paul sacrificed so that he could know for sure that Satan hadn't found a toehold through this trial, through their suffering, to tempt them aside from their faith and undo all the efforts that he put in, even in that short period of time. Pastoral concern, very important. The last one is a, profess- a pressing desire to nurture God's people in the word. We finish on this one. We're looking for a spiritual leader who wants to help people make solid progress in their Christian walk. So Paul says in chapter 3, verse 10, he longs to go back to them. Why? So that he can provide what is lacking in their faith. He's not putting them down. He's just saying that, okay, I want to consolidate your faith and and help you walk um, onto maturity. And I'd love to come back and share God's word with you so that can happen. He wants them to be more confident about what they believe. He wants them to be able to stand firm when they meet difficulties. He wants them to be keen to continue to be regular at church, regular at Bible study. He wants them to be motivated to take responsibility for ministry in some area, to serve Jesus that way. And Paul says he feels like it's getting his spiritual batteries recharged when he sees that happening. What he actually says is, now that we have heard how you're going, and you're going so well, Now we really live. So it's a wonderful way of expressing how he feels. The Christian leader's ultimate goal, like all leadership, is is magnificent, really. It's to encourage progress in the people they lead to go on and on until everyone for whom they've had responsibility stands holy and blameless with him in the presence of Jesus when he returns. Can you, can you sort of look and see that vision? <laughs> Paul could, very clearly, and that's what he wanted, and that's what motivated him. We want a pastor who's motivated to help his congregation meet Jesus well on that day. And big part of that is the way he finishes this little passage, and that is praying for them, coming to their aid in prayer before God. Now, we're looking at a Christian leader for a Christian leader who really believes that spiritual growth and endurance depend on God, not on him. So he'll be driven to regular, serious, and concerted prayer for each of his people. Over forty years, God has often reminded me that I'm I'm, I'm I was looking after brothers and sisters on God's behalf and not mine that I was leading them in his direction and not mine, that I was teaching them God's word, not mine, and I was resourced by his power and not by mine. And he had to remind me of that again and again. Good godly leadership recognises the indispensable role of prayer in leading their people. And currently, of course, your indispensable prayer in praying for your nominators and praying that God will raise up the sort of man we've been talking about this morning. He is human and he needs our prayer. And so Paul models for us what's important in a senior minister. We're looking for one who will show us genuine personal commitment, a keen pastoral concern, a pressing desire to nurture us in God's word. And as we wait, can I say to you, be encouraged particularly if the process takes a little bit longer than you're hoping. As we wait, let's continue to work together. Let's effectively do it as a team. Let's be patient with one another. Let's take time with one another. Let's pray for and with each other. Like Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Let's keep sharpening each other during this period of time. So let's pray that God will help us to do that. Dear Lord, raise up for us a man who will love us as Jesus loves us, who will nurture us in the faith, and who will keep pointing us to Jesus. And as Paul finishes, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good work and every good deed. Amen.